Hello and welcome to This Ripe Fruit. My name is Phoebus and this podcast series aims to look at what it means to be sexual by exploring the experiences and insights of people who either directly work in the sex industry or whose work is closely linked to sex. I'm a psychotherapist and currently carrying out a doctorate on the meaning of sexuality and my aim in this series is to create an open and non-judgmental space where we can all listen and learn from people who deal with sex and the sexual professionally. With me today is Graham, who has worked both as a gay and transvestite sex worker on and off for the last 20 years. In this episode, we focus on his transvestite sex work, how he experienced his sexuality while being dressed as a woman, and how he made sense of what his mostly straight male clients wanted. But first, I asked him how he got into selling sex as a transvestite. Um, I had girlfriends who had been working in the sex industry for years. I would go to their flats to do their hair and makeup, whatever it was they needed, because they would get bored in their flats all day. They couldn't go to the hairdressers because they'd miss clients. So I would do their hair while they were working, even if they went in and out of rooms with foil in their hair. You know, they would, I would work in their flats. And I would see how much money they were earning, how quickly they could earn it. And they were saying to me for years, well, why aren't you, you, know, why aren't you doing what we're doing? Makeup's great business, but you can earn twice as much doing what we're doing in a week. Um, and I'd always said, no, 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 no. They had said one thing to me and years before, and that was you can earn double if you put on a dress. And I needed to earn as much as, pos- as possible, as quickly as possible. So I thought it was going to be the best thing to do, you know. And I had worked when I first moved to London as a waitress for Peter Stringfellow at the Hippodrome. So I kind of already had her in my head, this, this kind of alter ego, you know. Um, so it wasn't actually too difficult for me to do. So you had done uh, escorting as a male before, and here you were escorting dressed up as a woman. Yeah. So how did you feel both experiences compared or differed? Um, it's funny, you know, with a face of makeup on and long hair and a pair of heels, you aren't who you always are. You know, you, you're very aware that by the time you've got all of that together, you're inside there, but you're not really the same person. You know? and, and I found it much easier to, to be her and, and work um, because I wasn't working. She was in my head. It was much easier to, to do that um, and in a, on a much bigger kind of scale because I had a lot of debt and I needed to clear quickly, you know. I didn't realise that my clients would be completely different working as a transvestite than the clients I'd had as a boy. They were all, they were gay men when I was working as a boy. Not necessarily gay men that you and I might see on the, on the gay scene, but they were definitely living as gay men. Hand on heart, I can say 98% of the people that would come through my door and stay when I was working as a, as a transvestite weren't. Most of them were married. Most of them were working in the city or in office jobs or labourers on their lunch break. A strangely high amount of labourers and rugby players for some reason. I don't know why. 
but they were very, very different. And quite often desperate to ask you a million and one questions because they had no one else to ask. Questions about what? Well, it was kind of pre-internet um, when I first started. It was only really starting up, internet sex. Um, uh, so there wasn't really anywhere to go like there is now. You can just log on and you know, ask Google a million questions and it will come up with something, won't it? But I think for someone who's living a predominantly straight life, they're not prepared to go into the city in the evening, explain to their wife where they're going, chance going into a gay club and being seen or all of that messy kind of stuff. They wouldn't risk it. But if they came to see someone like me, then suddenly they were free to say, so what's it like if you do that then? And what's it like if you do that then? And oh, you know I'm not gay, don't you? Which I heard many, many times, and they really, truly meant that. And they weren't gay, but they were gay with me at that time, you know? So lots of it was about talking and um, not wanting to... They, 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 they came across as very vulnerable, a lot of them, which is not what I expected because I'd grown up afraid of men. Uh, that beer-swilling, football-talking men that I'd grown up with. I just didn't relate to them at all. I had no understanding of them at all and I had no idea at all that they were just as emotional as anybody else on the planet. But it was all kind of locked in there. And a lot of these men, when they were in the room with me, would, <clears throat> well, would shake in their shoes, literally, sweat with nerves, some of them cry, and just want to have a really good time with someone that wasn't going to uh, take them for granted or use what they were against them. To what extent was your female persona intact throughout the whole session with the client? Completely. I didn't even want my lipstick to get smudged because it was all about the, the smoke and mirrors of it for me. Um, I'd worked for years, seven years at the Hippodrome as a waitress, so I'd kind of got the act polished years before and then put her away, you know. Um, so, and, and I was hired there to look like a waitress, but not to sound like one, not to have a girl's name. It was all about the circus of it for him. So I got the image thing really, really polished. On a good day, I wasn't half bad, you know. So that was really important for me, that I looked as much like a girl as I could, all the time being what they knew I was, which was a man. Uh, but but you, you're talking about your lipstick or your makeup. But did you get naked with your clients? Some of them, yeah. D bits of you would get naked. With others, you would be less comfortable and you want to kind of keep more covered up. Sometimes the chemistry was undeniable and natural and you couldn't avoid it. It would have been strange to avoid it. You know, sometimes you meet people for no apparent reason, don't you? And something just clicks with you and you don't know why. And I had very, very, very lovely experiences with a lot of those men. I really did. So, so with the experiences with the clients where you did take off your clothes, how possible was it for you to maintain that fantasy of you being a woman? <laughs> right, yeah. I never took my bra off because for me it was all about 
from the waist up. I had great legs, so the legs and the heels were always fine by themselves, you know. I had to have a bust and a face on and good hair. So from kind of below the belt to above the knee, it was kind of treated differently to the rest of me, if you know what I mean. Everyone's different, I suppose, when you're working. But for me, it was really important to not let them um, think it was okay to rough me up, rough and tumble kind of play that you might do with a man, even though I was a man. If they, if I wasn't wearing my own hair at the time and they leant on my wig, for example, and it came off on the bed, um, or they thought it was okay to smudge your makeup and your beard showing through at five in the afternoon, that would distract me from what was important, which is what they were here for at the time, you know. And so from the waist down, um, did you have penetration with yes. clients? Um, yes, but I worked as an active um, TV. I, I, well, I always, always was a better top than bottom, and I hate those terms, I really do. I just was. So I wasn't prepared to, can I say this, get fucked for money. Um, because even though my girlfriends were transsexual and didn't, they weren't boys in a dress, they were, their bodies were girls' bodies, but they were having to have penetrative sex for money. And A, I didn't, I didn't imagine I would find that very easy to do. L lay on your back face to face with someone you don't necessarily know or like that much. I thought would have real major impact for me, whereas I love fucking and, and doing as nice a job as I possibly can. So I played to my strengths. So how, do you, how did you at the time envisage your client um, maintaining the fantasy that you are a woman while at the same time from the waist down, you are the one that's fucking them and you have a penis? Yeah, I know. It's really odd. And even though I have two regular clients that I've been seeing all these years. They were originally TV clients of mine. Um, I never get dressed up for them now, but they still call me she and uh, talk to me like I'm still her, even though we've got to know each other so well now that whether I've got makeup on or a wig or a skirt is completely irrelevant to them because we're kind of old friends now. So, so can you say a little bit about what you felt your clients were getting out of this almost waist up, waist down contrast? Lots of them did not want to see the bits that reminded them that I was a boy. But yet they were Even getting Even though fucked. they wanted to get fucked. They, um, one, <laughs> one really, and it was strange, the chemistry, when I would walk into a, my workroom quite often, the one that I looked at that I thought, well, I don't like you much for no apparent reason, wouldn't like me either. There was definitely a chemistry thing that went on there. But one guy, I opened the door to the workroom and I looked at him and he was, I don't know, he was 21. He was blonde with shoulder length hair, smooth skin. I mean, so beautiful. It, um, I just felt like a truck driver in a dress instantly. And he took one look at me. I said, hi, my name's Tanya. And he went, Tanya, more like fucking Tony, and stood up and walked out, right? Some men really, really did not want to be reminded that they were paying you for your penis. 
they had to kind of kid themselves that what they saw overrode what what they were there for. Uh, it, it was a strange topic. Some of them were very interested in it. So can we dress up together? You know, that kind of mentality was very different to the guys that didn't like to think of themselves as gay. You had to kind of play a game with them. How, how would you describe what, what you were doing to them and how would they take it, especially for the men that did not want to be reminded of this? I mean, how would both of you maintain this fantasy that he was paying a woman, Yeah. but secretly he knows he's paying a man to fuck him? Yeah. Um, well, I had, because I worked from a work flat, I didn't want to work from my own home and I didn't want to do out calls. So I, I needed a work flat. And because of that, I needed someone to answer my phones for me. Um, and they would be responding to advertising cards in telephone boxes. I did advertise on the first Underground London or something like that it was called at the time, one of the first websites that was set up for escorts. But they would ring up and say, hello, I'm, answer I'm, I'm answering the advert for the TV. What's she like? Does she fuck? Does she get fucked? What's her hair like? They were very, very focused on, on, on image. So is she, does she look real? You know, is her hair long? Is she blonde? Is she busty? Has she got a small waist? All of that. But then they would say, and is she really nine inches and active? So they would drill your maid with all of that stuff and she would then brief me before they arrived. Um, so I kind of knew what they did or didn't want to a certain degree before I'd even met them. Uh, your maid was kind of like the, your first line of defense. She was the one that was your best friend, you know, and your guard dog quite often. So, so as Tanya, what were you specializing in? What was your expertise or what was your selling point? Um, I was active and, well, I mean, it's, it's a very strange term. Fully functioning was what, is, was what always was on a card or in the advertising because the clients wanted to know that you could get it up. That was the most important thing because if they were going to go as far as coming to meet a chick with a dick, if you want to put it that way, then they wanted the whole thing. If you're with someone and you, you are having fun, you like to think that you're turning them on, then you like to think that there might be an orgasm involved in it somewhere. So quite often they would want you to come. Well, that's all well and good, but quite often they would be so excited they would come really quick anyway, so it wasn't an issue. Or you could go for much, 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 much longer than they could, of course, because I've had much more sex than they have had. So it was usually stacked in my favour that they would come first. And if... If they weren't, if they were really demanding, I would just have to say, you know, I do sometimes see more than 10 clients a day, so I can't possibly do that with everyone. But I can still have a really nice time with you and, and hopefully treat, teach them some kind of tricks, how to make it nice, to make what they came with preconceived ideas that it was going to be painful, messy, you know, un awkward, unpleasant... And it, my, I liked to think that my speciality was that I could make all that work beautifully, you know, no trauma, no unpleasantness, no pain, make them feel like um, they could trust me, 
that you know they that, that if I saw them on the street I wouldn't I would look straight through them you know that I would never use any of this against them all of those things they needed to feel safe and I was quite good at that you mentioned how you helped them through almost managing their expectations of what it would be like because as you said a lot of these men were possibly married to women and they have not had penetrative anal sex before no 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 experience of douching or you know maybe fingers might be if if it was his birthday and he asked his wife nicely you know i'm being funny now but they weren't necessarily very experienced in all of that so of course you imagine the worst so what was that like for you i mean <laughs> having to deal with that actually strangely um i was really shy when i grew up and i I remember something happened to me one day when I realized that the person I was with was more nervous than I was. And as soon as that kind of dawned on me, there this kind of nurturing thing happened in me. And that kind of brought out the best in me. So it, I really was playing to my strengths. It was, it was easy for me to, send, for them to say, you know, don't stand over me and jump on it. That's really going to hurt you, you know try doing it this way and nice deep breaths at the right moments and just um, make it as nice as possible. They were paying me a lot of money and a, a lot of them didn't get what they paid for with other people. And I was very aware of that. And I wanted to be able to leave the job having not ripped anyone off. And, and you know, as an industry, it can be a little bit like that, especially especially with working girls and boys, you know. You mentioned here the anal penetration aspect of it. Is that what all of your clients wanted? or Nine some... times out of ten. It was usually a monetary thing if they didn't want it, especially because most of them weren't out or gay or there were no dating apps, no grinder, none of that. You know, there was just uh, um, the back of newspapers and telephone lines, I think, at the time, and, and bars, you know, so... If they were going to come all the way to me, I think that's why they wanted that. You know, it's like, well, I'm here now. If you say it can be nice, I'll have that, please. And what about oral sex? Uh, yeah. Yeah. E even with men who did not want to... Oh, with me, you mean? To yes. give me oral sex? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so what about the men that, again, those men that didn't want to recognize the maleness of you in that moment? How... how yeah, I know. They were my least favourite clients because they, they came with hang-ups that they didn't want to face up to, even when they were in a room with me, with, you know, I'm, uh, with me naked and trying to have sex. You know, some men just weren't ready to admit to even that. As, even, even with a they, pen your penis in their mouth or your penis in their ass, they could not or they did not want to own up to the fact that they were having sex with a man? No, no. I would say, I would say a third of them were like that. I, th I would say two thirds. By the time they got as far as me, um, past my maid, who was very kind and very, yeah, would tell you whatever you wanted to know endlessly, uh, I think by the time they'd met me, they were comfortable. And so the majority would go for it. Unless they were, some would say, I can't stop now, but I'll see you after New Year, and can I keep your card and stick it in their suit pocket? And you would assume you'd never see them again. 
but they would come back, you know, those men. I think because at the time they didn't have the access they've got now to it easier, you know. Uh, when you were working as Tanya, how were you experiencing your sexuality? How were you? I, mean, I didn't expect to fall in love with some of them, you know, which I really did. As much as I didn't want to at times, um, relationships definitely grew. You know, there were some boys. I had one boy that came to me on his 18th birthday. I was the present to him, self, you know. I've been thinking about this for years. Can you do this for me? And, and uh, so when you've seen that person once every other month for a few years, it becomes more than just the physical thing. Um, if there's any kind of chemistry, usually if there's no chemistry, they'll go on to the next and the next and you won't see them again. Um, but I think because of the way I worked, I did tend to get a lot of um, returns, which was nice for me in some respect. Sometimes it's easier to get it up for a stranger because it's a brand new experience and you're in that, that very, very first kind of, you're not thinking about, oh, it's him again, I'm tired, why couldn't he have come after my dinner? Um, if it's a new one, you, you're invested in that moment because you've not met them before, you, it's fresh, you don't know how much they want to pay you, all of that kind of stuff, it's kind of, yeah, sometimes it was great that they were regulars and sometimes you wish they'd never come back. <laughs> Not because mine were horrible. Most of them were lovely people. Some, some weren't, but most of them were. But, but how did you experience yourself as a sexual person uh, while you were working at the time? I mean, did, were you also experiencing yourself as a sexual person in your private life? Oh, right. In the beginning, I didn't feel the need to look for anything else out of hours, so to speak. But after I'd been working for a while as, as Tanya, um, sometimes even at the end of a really busy day, what I wanted was to put my hands on someone that I chose to put my hands on. And then it got a bit complicated sometimes because you have to sleep sometimes. And so it was always a little bit of a juggling act. Was it just that I wanted to... to was it just that I wanted my hands on someone out of choice? Did I really need it, or did I need a good night's sleep more? Sometimes I needed to, to have the choice and have someone I liked, for not for money, um, in my bed. That kind of wore me out a little bit towards the end, when I, I kind of realised that, actually, I'd much rather spend the night with someone and wake up and cook and breakfast than them leave in an hour because some of them were so lovely, I would wish they'd never go. There's no doubt about it. And some of the most beautiful men I've ever slept with have paid me, which is, which is a great thing. It's a great ego boost. It's like, oh my God, look at you. You are stunning and you are just gonna hand me 500 quid. And you're saying you think I'm beautiful too. It's like, what is not to love about that, you know? Yes, those ones, sometimes were the hardest because you were aware that they would leave even when they were still about to pay you. And you think, oh no, you're gonna be lovely, aren't you? And I won't want you to go home. That was probably the hardest and the most um, unexpected out of all of that for me. And, and when you were working as Tanya and you were having kind of sex privately as well, would you be having sex privately as Graham? Yeah. 
Would you ever have sex privately as Tanya? Yes. <laughs> so what was that like in a non-working situation with that? Uh, well, you never persona? paid for a taxi. You never waited for a black cab on the street. They would always stop. I still miss the effect that um, she has out in the real world compared to me. Because as a man in, in our world, you are much more invisible in some ways than when you're in a pair of really beautiful heels and a nice dress and killer makeup. And, you know, sometimes at the end of a busy day, if my friends were going, come on, let's go to the shadow lounge. I'd be like, oh, God, I'll have to take my wig off and get the makeup off. No, 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 just put on a new dress. Come on, we'll go out as you are. Um, that was great sometimes because she was much more empowered than me. Um, in, in some ways, still is. Uh, much braver. How come? I don't know. Maybe it's just that you're behind a mask of some kind. Um, you, it's much more obvious the effect you're having on straight men than as a gay man walking into a bar, for example, everyone may turn and look your way, but you don't necessarily know what they're thinking. Whereas you definitely know what they're thinking if you walk into a straight bar as Tanya on a good day. Um, it's obvious on, from their faces. So you're up for a good night. You'll get a, a, a larger shot of vodka at the bar that kind of thing. Things are just a little bit easier for you as a tranny, if I'm allowed to use that word. So what was the effect that you enjoyed having on straight men? Well, like, like I said, I grew up in a tiny little town. I, I had four um, really handsome, big, muscly, sexy brothers. Um, so I suppose I was kind of programmed... There were no other gay men around me when I was growing up. The only other gay men I ever saw were John Inman, Quentin Crisp, or whoever else was camping it up on TV at the time. There were no positive gay role models. There really weren't. Quentin Crisp did wonderful things for us as a gay man and as, a, as someone who wanted to live as a transvestite in the real world. You know, he got beaten up so that we didn't necessarily need to get beaten up so much. But it was still that I wanted that kind of man more than... That kind of man, that kind of macho, chauvinistic man? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Um, it? It doesn't sound ridiculous to me, but what's making you sound... Big, hard-working hands, an honest job, someone who comes home dirty at the end of a day, um, at, gives you housekeeping and wants to be um, a, a kind of a unit, you know, that kind of... So something very traditional or stereotypical about so, yeah. kind of the man. Yeah. Mm. So, so as Tanya, what was the effect that you wanted to have on a man like that? What I would hope for, quite often, because I wasn't threatening, I would, my, my, my talent would, was for making people feel relaxed and safe. When you make someone feel relaxed and safe, they are more inclined to give themselves up to you. And that's a really powerful and beautiful feeling. To, um, that to this surrender great, to you? Yeah, this great, big, strong man being 
on, on his back in your arms. That's a very powerful feeling, um, especially when you grew up as a shy gay boy and you end up in a bed in a situation that's much more like a girl and a boy. If you ignore the physical bit between my legs, you know the. But 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 it's almost that's uh, uh, the bit that's hard to ignore because there's something quite dominating about yeah. you with them. So, is there something about? I mean, were you getting a kick out of seeing kind of this very strong man being subdued or yeah. surrendering, and you somehow dominating them? So almost the tables have turned. As long, yeah, I was never interested in a submission. Because that's a whole other kind of thing in my head. Um, when you submit to someone emotionally, it's very different, isn't it, to submitting to someone sexually or physically only. If I've got thigh-high boots on and my, my heel in your back and I'm ordering you around, that's not the same kind of submission as you, know, you coming into my, my life as a, a strong man and... Being prepared to let me be the strong one and and give in to me, that was a big turn on for me. Absolutely. Uh, probably because it was the last thing that I was expecting. And, and obviously when you were coming up with your uh, persona of Tanya, I'm assuming you had an image of what it me- meant to be a woman for you. Yeah. So... Both in coming up with the persona and in when you were with your clients, how did you understand who Tanya was, or what what kind of a woman Tanya was, or what it meant for Tanya to be a woman in that scenario? Well, I suppose because I'd worked at the Hippodrome, the image side of it, I had down pat years before I ever turned to, uh, turned to escorting for money. Um, when I first started working at the Hippodrome, and I, w- I was told by Peter Stringfellow, I want you to dress in the same waitress outfit, I want you to look like a waitress, serve drinks like a waitress, but I don't want you to raise your voice. I don't want you to have a girl's name. If they ask you, what's your name, love, I want you to say, Graham. Because he wanted there to be an element of shock and theatre about it. When I did occasionally meet men through that job, and they were interested in me sexually. I found that really strange at 20, 21, because I thought they fancied me as a girl, which they did, but I was really aware that they knew I had a a dick. Um, And I couldn't get my head around the two. I couldn't merge the two at all until I started escorting. And when then I realized how different men really were and that I, I could be the strong one, as well as being soft and pretty looking, um, then it kind of worked in my head. But for a long time, it, um, I couldn't get my head around um, men wanting a TV and not a girl. If they wanted, if they fancied you because you looked like a girl, why didn't they want a girl? It was really confusing for me for years and years. And then it clicked, you know. So what, was, what is the click for you? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I like we were talking about this uh, loving the fact that someone trusts you and will um, will give themselves to you without trying to dominate the situation or manipulate you or 
order you around. Some men would say, I want you to do this, then I want you to do this, then I want you to do this. They weren't my kind of clients. We weren't suited ever. They would move on because I was much more kind of organic than that and I wanted it to be, even, even if it wasn't genuinely great for me, I wanted it to be a reasonable sort of facsimile of a nice experience for them. If I, if I could make them enjoy it, I would feel satisfied with the job I'd done. Then the money was a separate thing, but if I could, if I could give them what they wanted, then, then I was happy to do it, even though I was looking like a girl, but with a, you know, dick in my pants. It, yeah, somehow or other I got my head around it eventually. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and when it came to payment, was, um, was the money given directly to you or to your maid? Always get the money first, by the way. Okay. <laughs> Always. Um, they would pay my maid. Right. So the, the money would not kind of come in between you and the client as... No, they would discuss fees with me. And what was that like for you, kind of talking about the transactional monet monetary yeah, I element? hated that bit of it. I always wanted to charge more than I did. And that make, makes it sound like I was cheap. But actually, it's something very special, sex. And it depends what kind of sex... You can have a fuck and it's over in five minutes and it's like a McDonald's, can't you? But you can also have a really nice piece of fillet with beautiful sauce on it, whatever, it, you know. Yes, I wanted it to be special and I didn't want to say, oh, okay, then I'll do it for 50, but hurry up. Because for me, that was the worst side of sex for money. Um, I wanted to be able to be proud of, of the job I did and when I stopped doing it, be able to live with myself that the way I'd done it was in a nice way as for, for, for us, us all, if possible. Because I, I was aware that other people that I saw working around me hated it sometimes, hated the men sometimes, didn't give up when they'd had enough and they should have given up. It's great to have a goal if you're earning money with sex. When you've not got a goal and you're still doing it, you tend to lose your way. It's best to have a focus and work towards that and have a purpose. Then you know why you're charging and what you're charging. You know, I would rather say it's 200, not 50, and you're going to have a really great time. And if you want it for 50, there is a girl around the corner who will happily do that, but it isn't me. Because we were both selling sex, but... We were both selling different kinds of sex, and I wanted it to be nice, if I could possibly make it nice. So you were selling nice sex, or a nice sexual experience? Yeah. Not vanilla, necessarily. It could be very passionate and very sweaty and falling off the bed because you've lost sense of where you are in space and time because it's that good. Yes, yeah, and there were moments where you'd find yourself in his arms and he was staring you in the face and he's just come for you. And it's been really, like, you would want it to be where you first slept with your new boyfriend and it was amazing and you never wanted him to leave your life. That was what I did it for, those moments, really, so that they could go away thinking, do you know what, not every tranny is mad, 
or money grabbing, but actually some of them are lovely and I'm not a monster for wanting it because some men really thought they were. For wanting? Sex with a man in a dress or, or sex for money even, not necessarily about the, the transvestite thing. Sometimes it was about resenting you because they needed to come and pay for it to have it at their convenience and the way they wanted it. But also, why should I have to give you this? You know, there's, 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 that edge to working makes me feel uncomfortable. So I wanted a certain type of client who I suited so that uh, we, we both got what we wanted out of it at the end of the day. Uh, what have you learned from uh, your work about sexuality and being sexual? That, that men are probably more scared than than anyone would ever imagine they were about anything. If you've ever been intimidated or bullied um, by a man and you think that that's all they are. Um, I had skinheads with British Bulldogs and, and Union Jacks tattooed all over them, and I mean real ones, um, paying me for sex. And so there are no real scary men. In my experience, they were scared men. Is, is it possible that they were scared because they were with you? If they were scared with me, then they would usually be the ones that were uncomfortable about, if you remember I was saying about the ones that didn't want a hint of a beard on your face or you know any reminder that you weren't actually a girl was unbearable for them. Um, they, they were the they were the awkward, uncomfortable ones. I, I just found that so many of the men that I'd been afraid of all my life, as a child, as a teen, they're just as emotional and in need of contact and love and encouragement and support as um, as anyone else I've ever met in my life. And I spent a lot of years under the impression that they were some kind of monster because of when I was born and who I grew up around and who was on TV at the time. Things aren't the same now, but it did teach me that even straight men are just as emotional as gay men are. And I had no idea that that was the way. And uh, so you're less scared of these types of straight men as Tanya, but also when you are Graham, are you also... Yeah, are you Graham's still not afraid anymore because Graham can look straight past your eyes and think, oh, yes, you know, I know boys just like you. And uh, you know, I'm, I, I don't, you know, I never put my head down. I never cross the road. I never feel intimidated anymore because... It's all a big fat lie, you know? It's just people being what they think they need to be to be acceptable and fly under the radar. And with that, we've reached the end of today's episode. Thank you very much for listening. If you have any questions or comments for me or Graham, you can email them to thisripefruit at gmail.com and you can follow this podcast for the latest updates and episode releases on Twitter at thisripefruit. Fruit.